Together we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. We entrust ourselves to your infinite mercy and ask that you would allow our minds and hearts and souls to be the fertile soil that you speak of in the gospel. That your word, the very word of God, will bear deep, rich, and abundant fruit in our lives. Lord, illuminate these scriptures for us. Convict and console our hearts. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Who do you say that I am? An extremely fundamental question. Maybe no more important question that, that Jesus asked us. Who do you say that I am? Because how we answer this question decides everything for us in our relationship with Christ and the way we live our life and eternity for us. Who do you say that I am? And Jesus first asked this of, you know, his disciples. Who do people say that I am? Like, you know, what, they're, what are they saying on Twitter? Like, what's going on in the tabloids? Some folks are saying that you're Moses. Some saying you're Elijah. Some John the Baptist or one of the prophets. Like, okay. But then the question turns to them. But who do you say? What do you believe about me? And then Peter, as we often see, the, the spokesperson for the apostles, it's, you know, I kind of laugh. I think of like a teacher in a class or something, right? And they ask a question, and everybody's like, well, I think I know the answer. But I might not. I might not know it, you know? And Peter's the one who's always like, all right, I'm just going to toss it out there. See what we got. You are the Christ. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And we don't have in Mark's gospel, we don't have the, the more detailed version of that. If you go into Matthew chapter 16, we see that Jesus tells him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. That to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, is something that is first a gift, a revelation from the Father by the Holy Spirit. That we can't conjure it up, we can't force ourselves there, but it is a gift from God. But we do, we must cooperate. We must make an act of faith. We must assent in faith to it. And this is what Peter is doing. He's been given this gift, this inspiration, like this revelation to Jesus is something more than a man. And it's even something more than what everyone else is saying, that he's one of the prophets, or maybe even one of the prophets come back from the dead. No, he is the Messiah. And we see in Matthew again, the Son of God. And then so Jesus, at that moment, because this, as he's drawing his disciples to him, if, if you ever get frustrated like, man, I don't understand everything about Jesus, or I don't understand everything about the scriptures, 
then just read the Bible and you will be consoled, especially the gospel. Because it's, it's a gradual revelation. It's a gradual teaching. It's a gradual deepening of this relationship. So when Jesus calls his disciples and then he calls the apostles, at the moment they don't completely understand who he is. But there's this deepening understanding and this deepening revelation. So this moment, this moment where Peter is able to say, yeah, you're the Messiah. So Jesus, again, like a good teacher, is like, okay, you got that point, which is necessary for me to tell you the next point, which is the type of Messiah that I am is not what you're expecting. The type of Messiah that I am is not what you're expecting. And so what does Jesus say here, right? He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and rise after three days. And he will be the suffering Messiah. Now, What's interesting is that this was prophesied over and over in the Old Testament. We just read it today in Isaiah. Like it's not like a newsflash, like, hey, the Messiah's uh, going to suffer a little bit. Like, we, yeah, the prophets have been talking about that. So if you would have paid attention, they would go, oh, yeah, we know that. Got that. I've been reading Isaiah. I've been praying with Isaiah. I know it's going to happen, Lord. Everything's going to be all right. But that's not their response. What does it say? Peter pulls him aside. And he begins to rebuke him. (laughs) It's like imagining this in my head. Peter pulling Jesus aside and giving him a good talking to, you know? Hey, man, you got it wrong, all right? Listen up. This is how it's going to be. It's not going to happen that way, okay? Just so you understand, I know I just said you're the Messiah, but hey, let me just tell you how it's going to happen. How many times do we do this in our relationship with God? Okay, Lord, I know you're God. I know you're God, but like, hey, just come, come here. Come see. Come see. Let's, let's go outside. Let me, let me tell you how it's going to be, okay? This is how things need to happen, and this is how things need to work. And you got about two days to make it that way, all right? If not, we're going to come outside, and it's going to be rough, okay? <laughs> you know? We, we, we do this with the Lord, and it's kind of silly, but we do. And so Jesus has a really strong response to Peter, really strong response. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking as God does, but as men. Get behind me, Satan. Whoa now. He's he's trying to look out for you. Like in some sense, Peter is really from a good place, a place of love of Jesus, Like, no, Lord, we don't want you to suffer. It's not going to happen like that. We're going to protect you. And Jesus, like thinking, I mean, you could at least know that he's coming from a good place. Why does he say that? Well, we need to go back in Scripture to the beginning of the gospel. When the Spirit, right after the baptism, leads Jesus into the desert. And what does he go into the desert to do? To do battle with Satan. To do battle with Satan. And Satan tempts him with three different things, right? Hey, you're hungry, turn the stones into bread. Hey, you know, go up to the top of the temple, throw yourself off, and the angels will come 
get you. And then the last one, he leads him upon the heights. And he says, you see all of these kingdoms. They can all be yours if you bow down and worship me. Now, this temptation was the strongest temptation. Why? Because this is what Jesus came to do, right? To rescue the nations, to gather the nations to him, to take them back. And so Satan is offering him, hey, you can have all the nations without the cross. You don't have to suffer. And so Jesus, given his temptation, denies that. No. Serve the one God. But again, this is what Peter, Peter doesn't realize it, but this is the same thing that Peter is doing. He's saying, hey, Lord, you can be the Messiah without the cross. You can be the Messiah without the cross. Like, we can make that happen. The same temptation of the enemy. And so Jesus, again, this is in his memory, this is in his experience. Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking as God does, but as men do. Again, this great mystery of that in the plan of God, the redemption, the, the, the life and the mission of the Messiah is to give his life. To give his life in suffering, in dying for our salvation. And notice, too, what he says. He doesn't say, hey, keep your mouth shut. He says, get behind me. Follow me. Follow me. Don't try to lead me. Again, <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I mean, I've never done this, right? I've never told God what to do, and I've never told them this is how the plan is. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> Way too many times. And I never learned my lesson. I'm like, come on, Lord. You get behind me, and I'm a, I'll, I'll show you a better way. We do this, all of us. And then at that moment, Jesus says, okay, bring everyone here. Bring all of the crowds that are here. Bring all the disciples. And I say, this is what it means. See, there's a movement from belief, belief in Jesus to being his disciple are two different things. You have to believe in him first. But then there's another step to say, Lord, I will be your disciple. I will follow you. I will conform my life to yours. To be disciple means to imitate, to imitate the master, to be a student of the master and imitating him. So Satan believes in Jesus. He knows who he is, but he's not his disciple. So Jesus is saying, hey, if, if you want to move past belief, if you want to be my disciple, this is part of the path. Whoever wishes to come after me, follow me, meaning be my disciple, must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it. If you want to be my disciple, then it is about losing your life so that you might save it. It's about losing our selfishness, 
our greed, our pride, our lust, our envy, our jealousy, our, our ignoring of those in need, our lack of charity to those who need it most, and choosing to say yes to love, to love of God and to love of neighbor. And it is, and it is in this yes, in this dying to ourselves, and in this yes to Jesus that we really become alive. Is it painful? Yeah, it's painful. But it is like this pain that is opening up a way for healing, that's opening up a way for new life. I um, think of a very simple but also profound example. I'm going to brag on my little brother a little bit. Don't tell him, okay? He, he'll get a big head about it, you know. Don't tell him. My little brother, he and his wife have been married for nine years now. Um, and as they were preparing for marriage, you know, I kind of was part of that process. But I said, man, like, here, here's a mentor couple. Like, I might punch you in the face while we're doing this, right? <laughs> so we're good. And I might tell your wife, don't marry him. <laughs> Run away. Yeah, but in this, in this process, you see, like, both the gifts of both the the bride and the groom that is there preparing. And then you see also both their weaknesses. And you can see how, like, these gifts can complement each other and these weaknesses can also bump into each other. So there's, like, this joy and this excitement depending on, uh, also this concern depending on how those things are playing out. And I remember thinking, like, hmm, man, I hope that my future sister-in-law is a saint because little brother is not, you know, like, it's not the deal. But I've been impressed from day one in their marriage, and especially once they have begin, began to have children, of how different my little brother is. Particularly how patient he is compared to how he was before. And how selfless he is compared to how he was before. He still has a road to, go, to travel. But I see him making tangible decisions to not do things that he really would love to do in sacrifice for his wife and his children. All the time. Some things are big and some things are little. And I see it. And I remember, I see like these specific memories too of his kids will be acting up and this, all these things are happening. And I'm like, oh. They're about to get it, boy. <laughs> Watch out. My little brother's about to get on them. He just very patiently, slowly, I'm like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? And, and I've been thinking, like, Lord, okay, you're trying to teach me patience through this. Seeing it lived out. Him dying to himself and receiving life, and that gives life to his wife and his children in a way that is beautiful. They have a beautiful marriage and a beautiful family. I can say that as objectively as possible. He's my little brother. I'd rather tell you bad things about him, right? You know. If we want to be a disciple of Jesus and not just a believer, we too must choose as we're taking up our crosses we're dying to self 
dying to self, that the life of the Holy Spirit may fill us and that we may become alive. And when we do that, other people come alive in Christ as well. So we're all here today, clearly, most of us, I would think, because we believe in Jesus. Now the question that the gospel is asking us, how close of a disciple are we in following him, in dying to self, that we may experience the fullness of life in Christ? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. Okay, now that you say that, this is what it means to follow me. Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it.